Dave, I've missed you. I have missed you so terribly. I don't even know where we are in terms of the release and what date that is and what date it is today. It doesn't yeah. matter. The no. point is, I, I have not seen you in a long time. It's been ages. I've, I have been... Well, it's time. You've been on it's the time, road. It's, it's time to... It, now it can be told. Tell it. Uh, I have been on the road with the Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling North American Tour. <gasps> a night to remember with Jenny and Tori. What goes on at these shows? Um, it, uh, chaos. Wow. Utter chaos. Mm-hmm. Goes Sounds on. like a night to remember. Absolutely a night to remember. Uh, there's clothes. There's bodysuits. There's uh, yappy dogs. There's husbands. There's, uh, there's 90210 super fans. There's people in costume. There's uh, people who uh, who want to show you pictures of their uh, teenage bedroom that had all kinds of nine or two and posters on it. There's uh, there's champagne. Mm, great. Um, it was it was fun. What is the format of it? If is there one? Uh, there is. There is. <laughs> and you, do you know when we locked it down uh, on the seventh of seven shows? Oh wow! Yeah, just figured it out right in time. Well, I mean, we there was a framework, but it, but it was you know getting getting us getting us there was a uh, it was a journey. And so where did where have you been? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, we started in Cleveland mm-hmm. at a uh, at a uh, theater uh, by a uh, horse racetrack. Oh, not quite a casino. Okay, they had slot machines. From there, Foxwoods. The, uh, the casino out in uh, rural Connecticut. Uh-huh. Um, after that, uh, Westbury, Long Island, the Westbury Music Fair. Uh, at that at that stop, someone just walked on stage to hug them. Oh, and, and how was that received? Uh, it, they were fine with it, but it just it lent the whole thing a real Richard Bay show kind of an air. Uh, another person tried to do it and fell down. Oh God! Uh, security had to be called. Oh God! Um, yeah. Uh, from there, Morristown, New Jersey, an elegant uh, arts center in uh, Morristown, New Jersey. Gorgeous. That was an unbelievable show and was sold out. And, you know, like a 1,200-seat, 1,500-seat theater. Wow. Sold out. Um, a couple more casinos. Uh, Atlanta, the Borgata, the fabulous Borgata in Atlantic City. Mm. Uh, and then uh, some the MGM in D.C., Jesus. Finally. Yeah, we have. Uh, finally, uh, the Chevalier Theater in Medford, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. That's where you finished. That's where you just came back from. Yes. Uh, that, yeah, that one, another, another sellout. And, and the crowds went bananas. And what are you doing during the show? So I'm, um, I kind of wrote the loose skeleton around which the meat of the show should hang. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of trying to keep it on track. I'm not on stage. There was another MC, a guy named Cayman Edwards, uh, who's great, who uh, who MC'd. And so I'm a little bit in his ear from the, the sound board, mm-hmm. just, you know, saying stretch or cut short or whatever. Uh, he does not hear anything that I say because the crowd is yelling back at them and Jenny and Tori are talking to each other. Tori says everything about everything. Jenny spends her entire time on stage being like, stop talking. Just stop talking. Hmm. Uh, it was it was delicious chaos. And what is your dynamic with Jenny and Tori? Uh, the, I didn't really see them a whole lot, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, they they have, there's it's a lot of fan interaction for them. Sure. There's a VIP champagne toast beforehand. 
And are, uh, are with you the fans? And you're not, not a part of it. Participating? No, no, well, I don't. No, I don't want to intrude. Then there's the show. Then there. Then there's the meet and greet where you get uh, where you get a picture with them, and that goes on forever because it's a couple hundred people who all want to get a picture. So they're quite busy. They're they're both a lot of fun. Um, I was just fantasizing that you're running around these casinos and hotels together after hours after the oh, shows. There was a and- certain degree of that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jenny, Jenny will go up to her room. Tori's, Tori's down to play some slots. Oh, what a dream. And she'll take a picture and she'll, you know, she's, she's, she's down to party. Oh God. Uh, Dean, Dean was along for the ride. Oh, what? You got Dean time. Oh yeah, we got Dean. We got Dean. We got, uh, we got Jenny's husband, Dave. Very, very handsome. Lovely fellow. Um, yeah, it was, it was it, it truly, when we uh, started, it was like, well, let's see what this is. Uh-huh. You know, people uh-huh. bought tickets. I guess let's do a show. No, I mean, it, I, it, we did do some some preparation and some yeah, rehearsing, yeah. and then we took it out there. But it's, you know, you find out what it is. You find out what it is. You know, the, the, the audience is the uh, is the last character to That's arrive right. in any That's show. That's right. So um, is so, there, it was this, this is the end of the tour. This is the end of the tour. For now. This is for now the end of the so tour. So there could be more. Could be more. You never know. How are their spirits with the, you know, the nine hundred two, the reboot cancellation of it all? Well, uh, it's you know, God closes a door and opens a window, is I think. Okay. Uh, not continuing on Fox, but we live in it. We live in a post network world, don't we? People seem oh. to want it. Oh God! Do you know something? I don't know anything. Oh. No. Um, at one of the stops, uh, uh, I think Tori was like, th- "This was one where the audience." I will say it was a little cool. And, uh, and so it got to the part of the show where they talk about the, the, the reboot and Tori's like, you know, some people, um, when we talked about bringing it back, cause it really seemed like the time was right. Some people just kind of wanted a continuation, a reboot where we just see what they're like in, in middle age now. And somebody in the audience is like, yeah, no, that's what we wanted. Oh, just was a hundred percent like, Oh, I'm, I'm glad you finally asked. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why that didn't. So anyway, they, the, yeah, well, it's, you just never know what might happen. You just, as we speak it out into the world, it could be, we could be making it happen. Oh God, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Yeah. Uh, it was the weirdest two weeks of my life and, uh, and I don't know when I'm going to mentally re- return from it. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Uh, missed you terribly. I missed you too. And uh, what a great show to come back for. I think it's great. Uh, this week's guest yep. is Jarrett Weiselman. Uh, a genius. Our friend and lover uh-huh. from... You know him from gay Twitter. Let's just, I mean, of course. Yeah. speak plainly. Yeah. Um, he's one of the greats on yeah. there. He's a, I'd say, member of the board of gay Twitter. Yeah. And uh, he was at BuzzFeed for a long time. He's at Netflix now. And he's just, a, he's a doll baby. Yes. That's the only word. That he's lovely. Can, yeah. Absolutely lovely. So enjoy our chat with Jarrett Weiselman. We are back with Jared Weiselman. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Real good. Good. You're playing hooky from work right across the street. Technically, yeah. I have not gone far enough. The ankle monitor hasn't beeped, so we're good. Okay, oh, great. Yeah. Phew. How is it in the uh, in the beautiful mothership of Netflix? I love it. It's such an amazing company, and it's nice to be able to watch things really early. <laughs> early. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's sort of... 
everything all my other jobs pretended to be, but this one actually is. Really? Yeah. In what way? Well, it's just very open door policy, very transparent. They want you to have information. They want mm-hmm. you to know stuff. And they don't really shy away from having, you know, people who are, quote unquote, sort of entry level talk to the other people who are like the CEOs. Like there's yeah. such visibility into all of that. And it's really, really cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, what are you watching that is on your platform? Let's start there. Well, I love Alite. Have you guys seen Alite? It is a Spanish language, super gay show. It's amazing. It basically, it's imagine if How to Get It With Murder was set in the world of Gossip Girl. Whoa. Okay. And everyone on it is really, really hot. There's multiple gay characters. And also like the way they treat sexuality is super interesting. This is a spoiler, but not really because you don't know anyone. Um, there's a scene in the new season where like three best friends who are all male, like are drunk and they go home to one of their houses and one of them passes out. And then the other two, they're all in their underwear, just laying in bed together, not sexually. And then two of them fully have sex next to their sleeping friend. And he wakes up the next day and finds out and he's like, yeah, but I just really wish you guys hadn't let me get so drunk last night. And it's just like, so it's not an issue. It's super smart and funny wow. and everyone's hot. So highly recommend Alita. Alita. Oh, great. Okay. Yes. I, well, now I'm, I've seen, I believe I've seen maybe some uh, screen grabs. Sure. Your, oh, yeah, I bet you have. The, yeah, 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 Twitter enjoys Elite. Got it. Right on. Um, yeah, so I love that. Gosh, what else? There's um, my night. What's that? There's my night. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You got two seasons you can dig on in. Um, okay. What else am I loving right now? I really loved, we have a new show, Raising Dion, that Michael B. Jordan produced, which is a superhero show, uh-huh. which is really fun. Uh, Paul Rudd, Living With Yourself, just came out this weekend. I like that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like the paradox of choice, but also at the same time, I just have to watch everything, so it kind of works out. That's beautiful. Right. What about non-Netflix shows? Oh, my gosh. Let's see. I love Fleabag on Amazon, I think, is amazing. Incredible. Um, what else am I loving? Actually, you know what? I'm going to do this. I actually wrote things down so I could sound super smart off the cuff. This is what's happening <laughs> right great, now. Great. So casual. Um, Good Fight on CBS All Access is truly mm. the best show on television that no one watches because no one wants to ha- sign up for CBS All Access. I got to get it. I, it seems so mysterious. I'll, I'll give you I my login. Can... I'll give you my login. You. You'll be fine. Um, Euphoria and HBO, I loved. I mean, none of these are like really novel, groundbreaking thoughts, but, and so of course, what, yeah. What is so great about The Good Fight? Because everyone who watches it says that. Well, did you watch The Good Wife? Not really. Okay, so basically, in, no, the well. show is, <laughs> Me neither. it's weird because it's super serialized in the sense that you could really just watch, jump into one episode and watch just like the legal case. Uh-huh. But then on top of it, you have Christine Baranski, truly one of our greatest actors, sure. giving like the most amazing monologues and just really like tearing men down all the time. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's, you know, those shows that aren't queer in content, but feel sort of canically yes. queer. Yeah. This is one of those shows where it kind of has like a queer sensibility to it. Um, and you've got, you know, um, so many amazing actors on it and they, it's cause it's in New York. So you get all these incredible Broadway stars coming in and doing these one guest spots. And so it's just, it's so well-written and it's really, really funny. Although the, it has, the one thing I don't love is it's really political now because the show is predicated on the fact that Christine Brancy's character was going to retire and then Donald Trump won the president and she lost all of her money in like a Ponzi scheme. And so now the whole show is weirdly about Christine Baranski's character trying to get Donald Trump thrown out of office, which is, I know it's kind of strange. It took a real turn in season two, but they make it work. And like last season they had like Melania, Melania Trump in quotes on the show and they hear Donald Trump all the time, but it's- They had someone playing Melania? Yeah. But she was basically like, the point was you didn't actually know if it was Melania Trump. So she was sort of like in a shadow in like a sketchy hotel room and they didn't know if they were being played or not. And that it's like, 
very strange in wow. that way. It's sort of well, like it, it feels like you've taken acid and watching CNN. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that echoes real life because we're never really sure whether we're seeing Melania. Well, it's at the point now, too. Real. Yeah, it's at the point now, too, where I'm like, I don't even know if Onion headlines are headlines anymore. Like, yeah. They're just like predictive of actual news events. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. we're, we're uh, taping this the day after, uh, I believe it was Mark Esperanto. Yes. Yesterday? Did you what, see no, that thing? No. Mark Esper is, uh, is one of... Um, one of our country's like national security advisors or something. I don't know if I have his, his title exactly right. I but, think that's uh, right. It's like uh, Donald Trump tweeted about Mark Esperanto yesterday. Yes. Oh, just got it. thought that it was a different name. And then also <laughs> another hundred thousand stupid at, things. At, at and least. Just, and all before 10 a.m. All before 10 a.m. Yeah. So, yeah. Sure. So I recommend, but okay. also The Good Wife is great too. It's one of those weird shows that I end up watching as I fall asleep now. Yeah. So. I've been watching Silk Stockings to fall asleep. I loved Silk Stockings growing <laughs> it's so up. good, Jared. Oh my God. I'm sure it's not, but no, like. No, it isn't. By it, good, I mean. It was like, it was that. Good. And then there was also that show, Pacific Blue, which was like sort yes. of at the same time where they were like Santa Monica Beach Cops. They were and they were always cops. on bikes. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> USA really did lo- the work back in the 90s. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're doing like a, a laptop in bed with you or is it just No, there's a TV, TV in the bedroom. And we have a, we have a, um, a stick of some kind, a fire stick or something. Oh, I thought uh-huh. you meant to like change the channel. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have, I was like, that doesn't, <laughs> yeah. what do you call it? There's we an easier way. Easier change way. the channel with a stick. No, uh, you know, one of the little over the top things and, uh, and it has Hulu on it uh-huh. and silk stockings, all seven or eight seasons. And are you, Hulu. I'm just curious you about people's screen bedtime screen habits. Are you then, is there a sleep timer and you're yes. literally falling asleep to yes. silk stock and then it goes yeah, off and, and then, then it goes off. And then are you having silk stocking dreams? That's what I was wondering, because um, it's a dark show. Yeah. It's not really. Really? Maybe no. just, maybe it was scary for me as like a six-year-old. Probably. <laughs> yeah, somebody gets murdered in every episode right. in a sexy way. Yeah. But like, yeah, no, it's pretty it's pretty light. What was the last sexy murder you saw on the show? Um, let's see. Often I'm asleep before the murder. <laughs> oh, um, it's not like SVU where it's literally the first two minutes? It, it is. Great, but okay. I'm often asleep really within the first two minutes. I love it. There's uh, there there was like a swingers club, and there was a murder. There was a boxer who was having who was hooking up with the wife of his manager, and one of Classic. them got murdered. Yeah, it's just that yeah. kind of thing. It's just sexy people. Murdered. I love it. Are you doing bedtime TV? No, I made this weird. Dis- I noticed like when. Um, as you know, I'm a huge TV person, but I can't actually shut off my brain when the television's on. And so I was finding that I was staying up till two in the morning, just yeah. watching nothing for no reason. And so about like eight years ago, I was like, no more TVs at bedtime. Oh, yeah. wow. So that's, I just draw a hard line because otherwise I'll be up all night, frankly. Wow. Me too. And we do no, no TV in the bedroom or the main, in, in the living room. And I like to feel uh, sort of superior about it as oh. if it's like a, ch- you know, that we're yeah. not those people, but it's really just my own, ter- like I sleep is such a terrifying time. Not getting it is such a, so yeah, mm. I ban as much screen time around bedtime as possible. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, what are your last, uh, last few Spotify or Apple music searches? Oh gosh. Well, I just went to Austin city limits festival Ooh, last weekend. How for the was first that? Time. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I'm a big, I love music festivals cause I like discovering new artists yeah. because my friends have terrible taste in music and they're not helpful. Yeah. Um, and so what, I like, what are you getting recommended by your friends? With I mean, it's just like gay pop stuff, which sure. I'm like, I already know who Tove Lo is. You don't yeah, have to yeah, tell yeah, me yeah. she has a new song out. Like yeah. I get it. Um, but like, I found this new artist, her name is Shura, S-H-U-R-A. And uh-huh. I think she's a lesbian and it's sort of like vibey synthy pop. She had like a great vibe. And it's one of those, you know, the thing at a festival where 
you don't know the song, but you feel like it was meant for you as soon as you start to hear it. Yeah. That was what happened there. So, okay. yeah. So her, and then, oh my gosh, I mean, should I just look? Let's just look yeah, to be let's do it. Let's get super fair. I mean, I do this thing. It's, it's probably not how the Spotify people want me to use their platform, but they recommend me songs that I then download on Apple Music. Yeah. Uh, um, sure. So yeah, there's old B Miller song, Shura, the new Harry Styles song, the new Churches song. So that's sort There's of like a new Churches song. Yeah. It's mm. off like a, it's off like a soundtrack for death standing timefall, original music from the world of what the fuck is this? <laughs> I actually never looked at it, but yeah, so it's, it's really good. The song is called death stranding. Mm. Death stranding. Okay. Classic Churches. Great. Yeah. So that's sort of my realm in addition to gay things that okay. everybody seems to like. What did you go to Austin City Limits to see? I went, there, so I went to – on your list? Well, my number – the reason I went were for two reasons. One was to see Sigrid, who is this Norwegian pop star yeah. that I'm obsessed with. Earth. And I had seen her two weeks ago in Los Angeles when she was here. And then I flew to Austin to see her as well. And also Third Eye Blind was playing. Oh, wow. And oh, yeah. I had never seen them before. And it felt like – that felt like the time. Great. Uh, but we did that. And then we saw Mumford and Sons, who I'd never seen live. And Lizzo, who we saw this weekend also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But like, I just like being at a festival. I don't know why. I mean, I know why. It's because I like to drink during the day. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. that. Thank you. I'm glad you think so. Yeah. Do, is it like South by Southwest in that there are parties and barbecues all around it? Or do you need to stay on the ground? It's, yeah. It's more like Coachella in the sense that it's just you enter the festival and then there's things there for you to do. There's tents and there's food and there's beer. And then you leave the festival and go back gotcha. out into the world. It's South by it's more spread out. This is spread out. concentrated in one field that weirdly is right outside downtown, like right over that bridge when you go uh-huh. and it's right there. I was kind of surprised. I thought we'd be like in a 30 minute cab ride or something. Yeah. Very convenient. I love Austin. I love, yeah. Austin's a great place. It's really amazing. Although I had never been outside the summer before and it's way better. Not in the summer. Oh yeah. It's so nice. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So I am curious about your own your origin story in life, but also in media. Sure. How do you feel about the lab- label media gay? I feel fine about that. I'm yeah. I, I, I don't think there's a way to avoid being labeled. I, honestly, like I love both. I love being in media. I love being gay. So I certainly wouldn't reject the label in yeah. any way. Um, how did I get into media? Yeah. Well, I went to college to not study this. I studied psychology and sociology for I don't know why. Um, and then I should say, it's cause I liked writing and they're both writing intensive mm. disciplines. And I think when I was younger, I really wanted to be like a writer director and then I didn't get into NYU. So I didn't care about doing my dream anymore, apparently, which is something I should probably look at. <laughs> um, and then I graduated college with a degree in something I didn't want to do and didn't know what I was going to do. So I just started waiting tables at Bennigan's. Uh, and, and where I, was this? New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. Like where in New Jersey? North Jersey, Randolph. It's near Morristown, which uh-huh. is what everyone seems to know. Okay. Um, super small town. Everyone was super white. Like I, So I was raised by gay dads. And so it was very novel in the early 90s to have gay parents in suburban New Jersey. It was like I was the only one for, well, it turns out I thought I was the only one the entire time I was in high school. And then later, my friend Jamie Wellaber's mom moved in with her friend Carol. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, oh, there's two of us. Ah, wow. So... Yeah, and so we'll come back to gay dads. Sure, and we'll sure. We'll dive on that. Yeah, so I graduated with no idea what I was going to do, and then I was at like a family party, and someone who was related to my stepdad 
was there and we were talking. She's like, you know, my friend just started working at this magazine. You should call her. Like maybe she could just talk to her about a job. And I'd always loved entertainment. Like I was the kid who read Entertainment Weekly cover to cover from the time they could read, would have my dad drop me at the movies at like 10 a.m. on a Saturday and pick me up at 10 p.m. Just like jump from theater to theater and, Mm. you know, watch every show on television. I just, I would read like the back. Remember when THR actually had like production listings in the back? It was like super thick and I would read like, oh, this person is making this movie in this town and here's the log line. Like it was like, like that. Um, and so I went and met with this woman. She was working at this magazine, which had been launched two months before, which is in touch weekly magazine. Um, and she was like, I would, she's like, you seem great, but you've never studied journalism. You've never worked at a newspaper. I don't know why I would hire you. And I was like, that's, that's fair. Mm -hmm. And then the next day she called me and said, you know, I definitely can't hire you, but my assistant just quit. So could you just be a warm body in this office? And I said, oh, absolutely. Because I'm hundred percent getting this job. I was like, once you let me in either to your profession or your life, it's really hard to get me out if I want. (laughs) So I worked really hard for two weeks. And then the whole time I was sending, I was sending directions to the office, to all these J school grads who, you know, had like all the requirements that she thought she wanted for the job. And I just like busted my ass and I'd get there at 5am and I would never leave before her. And I'd leave at like 11pm. And, and after two weeks, she was like, you know what, you can definitely apply for this job. You're really good. And so I went up against, I think it was like five or six people who had just graduated from like very prestigious journalism schools. And I got the job. Wow. And then I was the assistant at In Touch Weekly magazine when it was still nice, like nice adjacent uh-huh. uh, for two years. And then I got promoted. I actually, the, my boss got fired, the one who hired me, and I got her job. So then I was the head. I was like 26 years old and I was the head of the lifestyle department at In Touch Weekly magazine. Holy cow. Which was weird because it was not an amount of power I should have had at that time. And this was, I, I mean, in touch has has always been relatively fact based. Right? Oh right? no 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 not, not at all. Okay, no. I mean, look, there are some it, facts like this person was at this red carpet, right? But right. I'll never forget. So I also happened to work in Celebrity Weekly. Is that I think the best time to have ever worked at them? Mm-hmm. It was. It was Brangelina. Oh, it was God. all that Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton. Sure. Like it was, oh, it was just like I the just most in salacious insanity. Yeah, you probably had a lot of strong feelings about they, the oh, Brad and Angelina yes. stuff. Um, but I remember one day I went into the editor in chief's office, and he had been so the company that owned In Touch Weekly is called Bauer Media, which is like a huge German publishing company, and they own like Grazia Magazine or Hello Magazine, one of those European ones that's really popular. And my boss had come from Soap Opera Digest where he worked there. And I remember he said to me one day, I was like, I, I'm like, what's the cover this week? So there'd be all these cover meetings. And he's like, well, here's what I've decided it is. And he like basically crafted some story about Brad and Angelina had done something. And I was like, but we don't have any reporting to back that up. And he was like, well, all you need to do is remember that we are telling a season long story about these people. So he had basically every cover planned out for three months, wow. regardless of what actually happened in the world. And I was like, this is not, I mean, like, I know I didn't go to journalism school, but I know yeah. this is not okay. Yeah. You're breaking I, a season of television. That's, but that's really, as I now understand television, like it's absolutely what he was doing. He was writing soap opera storylines and then just plugging all of these players into his existing narratives. Amazing. And- then I was a dark time. Like to be like, well, you've legal. And he's like, honestly, you can just pay people to tell you that, that something happened and you don't have to worry about actually getting second sources. And, and like, then I, you can just quote them as a source. Exactly. And I was like, I should get out of this job. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's, I don't think, 
I mean, I don't know how it is now, but certainly then when there were so many people involved in so many people's lives, it was so easy, I think, to lie and just, and people would assume someone said something. Mm -hmm. You know, this was like before, I mean, really before the internet was super popular, you had Perez Hilton, who was sort of leading that charge, but people didn't have cell phone cameras, people, so they could go to clubs, they could do whatever they wanted, and there was no proof of it. Yeah. It was like dark. Looking back on it, there was some real dark shit. <laughs> do you remember your first cover as Lifestyle, like head of Lifestyle? Oh my gosh. I don't, I mean, I, I was never a cover person, so they were always like, Beach body secrets. The lifestyle sure. department was fashion and entertainment and fitness. Okay. Um, of which I am one of those three things. Okay. Uh, so it was weird that, you know, I was sort of like coming up with these feature ideas about clothes and I'd know nothing about, I mean, I do now, but at the time, you know, I was still closeted when I worked there. So it was a we the weirdest juxtaposition of me being really young, working at this super gay industry at running a fashion department and being like, I'm going to go on a date with my girlfriend later. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was, it was a very, you know, the, listen, the early two thousands were just so tough for us all. Uh, all yeah. I us. just assumed with gay dads and you're working at in touch that you've been I, out. For, uh, for I know ever. That's always the thing that people come back to when they find, cause I didn't come out until I was like 24, 23, 24. Um, and Everyone's always like, but you had gay dads. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not really about that. Like, yeah. it's not about your external acceptance. It's mm -hmm. always about your internal acceptance. And also, I mean, not for nothing, but I, and I never saw anything like terrible, but I mean, you don't get the best sense of people's perspective on homosexuality living in Northern New Jersey in the late nineties. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like I definitely remember my dad having this rainbow sticker on the back of his car. They were very out. They would hold hands in public. And it was, you know, they were not ashamed to be who they were, which is amazing. But I remember like people screaming like fag as we drove by, like seeing the rainbow sticker and stuff like that. So it, it gets in your head, even when you're already in your head a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it was one of those things, which, you know, to your point, every time I came out to someone, they're like, yeah, we know. Right. We're, right. Like, we're aware. Thanks. Yeah. But were you getting it at high, in high school as well? I mean, I think I remember a couple of times people being like, well, your dad's gay. Are you gay? Like, but nothing beyond that. But I mean, it wasn't like my parents were really popular because I think with like my friends and stuff. So that was always really nice. But I only really had girlfriends up until I was honestly 19 years old. Yeah. Like I, I just never had anything to connect with guys about. I never had, we never had similar interests. We never liked doing the same stuff. Like in, and so, but like women and I always had a million things in common, regardless of like attraction to men. Right. Mm -hmm. And weirdly my best friend from high school, who's a girl then later came out as a lesbian. And so it was, we kind of just like swapped. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't until I went to college and I met uh, this guy, Brad, who I ended up living with platonically, like, for four years and he was my best friend, but he like loves sports and like going to Hooters. And I was like, I mean, their wings are good. So I was fine with it. Uh -huh. But like, that was actually the first time in my entire life I had like a good male friend. Wow. And until recently, I've never had like a strong group of like gay male friends before until like the last four years. Like I always had gay male friends, but you know, that thing where it's like, you all talk to each other before you do anything and you all go out to like, that's also a very new thing for me, which is odd too. Yeah. 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 Um, wait, I, I want to get into this more. Let's take a break. I'm yeah. going to be right back. And we're back. Jerry, you're giving us so much. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. We just had to... 
pause? Sure. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would love to back up. Yes, um, sure. So what is uh, – tell me about the family that you were raised sure. in. Sure. So uh, my mom and my dad met in college, uh-huh. the same college I went to later. Which is? Syracuse. Uh-huh. And then they were together. They had me very young. My dad was 21 when he had me. Uh-huh. And he was 23 when he had my sister. And then right after my sister was born, they split up. And then I lived with my mom and her second husband until she died when I was 10. And then when she, was, when I, when she died, my sister and I moved in with my dad and his friend, Tom, uh-huh. who is now my adopted stepfather. Uh-huh. Um, and we lived in like a townhouse and then, we mo- and then they moved us back to the town we were living in so they wouldn't disrupt our schooling so much. So from the time I was 10 years old on, I lived with my dad and his husband, well now husband, they've since been married several times. They love to get married. It's weird. Yeah. Like every time a new state would actually pass marriage legislation, they would go to that state and get married in that state, which is actually cute now that I think about it. It's just like a classic housewives of Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's had like also some similar repercussions to the housewives (laughs) of our renewals. Um, But yeah, so I lived with them and then I accidentally outed my dad when I was 11. We were driving in the car and he hadn't said anything. We'd been living in this house with him and Tom for... I mean, probably like seven months at this point. And they hadn't said anything to us about being gay. We were in the car and I had heard a joke at school that day and I told it. And what was it? So here's the thing. I was going to preface by saying, I still think this joke is very funny. Okay. Um, So the joke is, what do you call a bouncer at a gay bar? What? A flamethrower. Wow. I mean, come on. That's like for a fourth grader, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, And my dad says, you shouldn't tell jokes like that. They're offensive. And I'm like, it's not offensive. It's just a joke. And he's like, well, I'm personally offended. I'm like, why are you gay? He pulls the car over to the side of the road, turns off the engine. It's like, yeah, I am gay. Wow. And that's how my dad came out to my sister and I. Wow. Wowee. I know. And you just did the thing is she starts to cry. You don't have context for what that means necessarily. I mean, she must have been like eight at uh-huh. the time. So she didn't even know what my dad was really saying. And then I'm sure, I don't really remember what happened after that, but I'm sure then there were conversations about Tom, you know, and then being together and stuff. So they renewed their vows very quickly. I mean, that was before they'd gotten married, okay. but it was, it was, there was a quick succession. Like when I remember being in college and I was like, you guys are getting married again. Yeah. But you know, people, some people love to get married. At least it's to the same person. Yeah. <laughs> Full yeah. ceremonies every time. And you got, you're flying uh, back. And- I'd only, I've only been to one. Their first was in our backyard. It was actually presided over by, by our rabbi too that bar misfit me oh wow um, and the whole family came and they like had uh, there was like f- 40 people there uh, and that was the first marriage ceremony and that's the only one I've actually been to but they've done it sort of themselves just in like little weekend trips to like you know Vermont and stuff and how old were you for the first one I must have been like it was, I think it was after my bar mitzvah so I must have been like 13 or 14 god you know? I, I, I mean in was there any sense of shame for you or? No. I mean, the thing that was tough was my dad's dad was like very not cool with it for a very long time. And it was like a big problem, which I understand, you know, he's an immigrant who grew up in a very different culture and a different time. And I think if you still have people now having issues with, you know, their children being gay, imagine what it was like, you know, in 1994, um, but it never really like translated for me. Like I never really got sort of a lot of collateral damage from my parents being gay besides just the emotional collateral damage I inflicted on myself. Mm. Yeah. So what then, like, what was your perception of what gay people were early on? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think for a long time, 
I never saw like gay people in a sexual way because right. I didn't want to see my parents in a sexual mm. way. And so I feel like it had weirdly been kind of neutered, but I, I must've just been at a certain point, like when I actually became sort of like super aware of my feelings for other guys or whatever, that my perception kind of shifted. And I always put them in like a different box. Like they were not the, my idea of what gay men are or the kind of gay man I wanted to be. Cause like they don't even kiss, like they don't do anything that, you know, it's what you think about your own parents, no matter yeah, yeah. what. Um, and then it was, I'm trying to think even like what I feel like it, cause I was like I was a big real world fan, still sort of am. So Pedro was a really interesting sort of gay person. And reality television weirdly ended up being, I think for a lot of people my age, your first foray into understanding different kinds of sexuality and different kinds of gay people. And so I think that version of gayness, which was basically like a mid to early 20s gayness, was kind of my, how I ended up seeing it over time. So you're... You graduated from college. Mm -hmm. You're at In Touch Weekly. You're still you're still closeted, yeah. uh, and still dating, not dating. What's I, I, so I I had seriously dated three girls, both through college and then after. Um, but I what was weird was I dated. Actually, no, that's not true. I dated all three of them in college, and then as soon as I got out of college, I wasn't. I didn't feel the pressure of the collegiate environment to like date girls or like have a girlfriend. And so it was much easier to not date girls and slowly think about dating guys once I was out of sort of that very, because Syracuse is a big school, but your friend group in college is typically very, very small. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, again, none of them had any trouble with it or any issue with it when I came out to them. But, you know, again, it's not about anyone else but you. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Yeah. So after college, I was like, I do not need to be dating women anymore. This is stupid. And it was just about getting myself to the place where I could then sort of start saying to people. And I, I had definitely hooked up with guys in college secretly. Uh, but I was like, I need to figure out how I can do this openly. Right. And those were all just sort of like a, a cloak and dagger. Oh, it was, and it was like, we were meeting in chat rooms and then, you know, meeting at like diners off like random highways and the no one that no one in my town would ever be in, uh, which was like kind of fun on some level, but sure. it was, yeah, it was, it was very like cloak and dagger. Um, and then how was coming out to your dad's? I got so drunk before I came out to them. I don't know why it's, you know, yeah, it's what did you think was going to happen? I, I honestly, could you imagine if they like, were like, we don't approve of this lifestyle choice. <laughs> yeah, you? Like, yeah. I don't know why I, you know why I, at, at the time I was really, really close with my father, my biological father. Um, and I think I've always had this thing my whole life. I've, this thing has always happened where people lump us together because we're very similar uh, in our mannerisms and sort of how we look a little bit, uh, like to the point where I was when I was working at Bennigan's, I'll, our name tag just at our first name, and I was waiting on this table, and this woman was like, she's like, I have such a weird question for you, but she's like, is your father Alex Weisselman? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I went to college with him, and I feel like I'm looking at him right now, like watching you talk and like the wow. way you're. So it's like it's like that. Like we have yeah. very similar energies and essences, I guess, and we were really close at the time. But I also. I hated the fact that it always felt like my choices were being pre-selected for me because I was like following his pattern of something. And so the fact that I was also gay, I was like, oh, it's like another thing that we're the same on. And so yeah. I think there was part of me that was like, I, it's not that I didn't want to be gay. It was more like, I don't want you to be gay because now this is my thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they were like, you know, like everyone else, they were actually the very, 
very last people I came out to. I told every single person in my life mm-hmm. except my parents. And then I told my parents at dinner, I was, I couldn't stop drinking vodka. I was so scared and I don't know why. And I told them and they're like, great, that's amazing. We're so happy for you. And it was just like, I, I it's like, once it's over, it's like, I don't know why I made this such a big deal. Yeah. Right. You know, especially once sort of the band-aids off, but. Right. And how is it with them now? It's fine. I mean, we have issues for different reasons that have nothing to do with gayness. Um, I think that it's, it's just that thing where there always comes a point in your life when you stop seeing your parents as your parents and you start seeing them as people. And I think that's been difficult, mm-hmm. but I love them and they're not going to listen to this. So don't, <laughs> yeah. you no, don't, don't know that. I don't know that actually. They are, I, uh, that's actually weirdly how my grandfather found out I was gay yeah. because I never, I actually, that's not true. He was the last person I came out to before he died because I, I had seen what he had done to my dad. And I was super nervous about that. Like having him do that to me. Cause I grew up, we have a very small family. I'm first generation American on that side. And most of my dad's family, like never immigrated to America. They lived in Spain and they lived in France and Morocco. And so it was my grandparents and they had my dad and my uncle, his brother. And then my uncle had three daughters and my dad had me and my sister. And so my entire childhood was my grandfather saying, you're the only person who can carry on the Weisselman name. You're the only person who can give birth to a male heir to make sure this terrible last name I don't even like gets to propagate into the world for longer. Yeah. Um, and so I was super nervous to come out to him because I'm like, oh, he's going to realize He's probably never going to have mm-hmm. a son that, or a, or a great-grandson that does what he's always needed to be done. Uh, and I had written a story when I worked at BuzzFeed. I wrote a story about what it was like to grow up gay with gay parents. And what I didn't realize was my grandfather read everything I ever wrote. Like he had like, he didn't know how to use the internet, but he knew how to get to BuzzFeed and find my author page. Yeah. And so I get this call from my uncle one day. He's like, hey, um, Poppy read your story and he's asking us why you never came out to him. And I was like, God. So then I called him and I was like, Hey, I hear you have some questions. He's like, no, I'm fine. I'm like, okay. But like you read the story. He's like, yep. And I'm like, I'm like, I really heard from a lot of people that you were upset. He's like, I don't know what they're talking about. So I was kind of, it's like, we never really actually talked about it, but it was no longer sort of something he didn't know. Yeah. But I don't think he was ever interested in that, which is also fine because I don't need to talk to my grandfather about being gay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And what about dating now? Yeah. What's the landscape? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, look, I, I, I feel like everyone always, I lived in New York before I moved to LA for a long time and everyone's always like, oh, New York is so much better. And I'm like, it's not really, it's exactly the same. You just trade bankers for agents, you know, or yeah. you just trade uh, frat boys for Instagram model. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's all like, it's all still the same. I mean, dating is fun. I really like, I feel like the, the happiest with sort of like my romantic life right now, even though I'm not dating anyone like seriously, I feel like the, I don't know, like maybe I've just gotten to a better place with it in time, or maybe I've just found a better pool of people to sort of pull from. Um, But I like, I like dating in LA. I mean, I actually like LA in general more than I ever thought I would. Where are you pulling from that pool? Yeah. Um, I mean, you mean like where am I meeting people? Yeah. Yeah. Are you using the apps? Yeah. I mean, all of it, right? Like, I mean, everyone always has the ideal situation of like, oh, we just like met at a library. We both like wanted to check out the same book and it was amazing. But in reality, it's like you meet people on like Grindr or Scruff or Hinge or at bars. You like start hooking up. Uh, Twitter weirdly has been a place where like I've met people who like become friends and then like, well, we should go get coffee. And then it always like 
progresses. Because at least that, you know, you have a lot of things in common if you follow someone on an actual app, right? Like on yeah. Instagram or mm-hmm. Twitter, you get a sense of them as a person on some level, as opposed to, you know, seeing their shirtless before you actually meet them in person or right. hear a single thought that they have. And so you're okay with uh, sort of the ambiguity of uh, maybe we're friends and I mean, it's, it, listen, it's led me down like so many bad paths and it's like constant sleepless nights. And I, but I'm fine with that because I feel like if, if it's someone who is interesting enough to want to spend time with, it shouldn't matter if they're your friend or they're someone you're having sex with. Right. right. But I also think that really good sex can't happen unless you are friends with someone. Mm-hmm. Like you can have like amazing drunken sex for sure. But I don't know. I've always found like, I've always found myself to enjoy sex infinitely more when it's with someone I actually like talking to because it, it's, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know, it just cha- it, it deepens everything in a way. So I feel like if you can at least like the person that you're sleeping with, it's a good thing. It helps. Yeah. You know, missionary. <laughs> and what about carrying on the wise woman name? I do you y- want kids? I, uh, for a long time, I thought I really wanted kids. And then my sister had a daughter who I love and is amazing. But in being there for the birth and then like everything after that, I was like, oh, this is actually a lot of work. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's sort of the thing that. I, I, and I don't say this in like a fishing way. I think I'm a very generous person, but I'm also like an extremely selfish person. And the idea of putting someone else's needs so fully ahead of my own is actually not that appealing from a child perspective. Right. I mean, I want to get a dog and I can't even bring myself to do that. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on with you? I mean, dogs are, 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 are foundational. Dogs are my favorite people. Um, I just... There's oh you always come up with like a reason. It's like, well, but then I can't travel or like, oh, but I have this. And you I I still think like this is very indicative of why I don't think I want a kid. It's because I can't even commit to not wanting to not being able to do something that I want to do because I have to go home and walk a dog. Yeah. Right. So I think that's a really good sign because I very much believe that people who shouldn't don't want to have children should not have children. Yeah. You know, or like if take it seriously. Yeah. And dog ownership too. A hundred percent. Yeah. So uh yeah, so that's my thing about kids. I think if I met someone though and he really wanted kids. I'd be okay with it. I love children. They're so fun. I love when you can give them back to their parents, mm-hmm. but um, I'm, I'm open to it in theory. I would just never do it like on my own or it's nothing. It's not a pull that I particularly feel. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they'll probably be the wild swimming name will probably die with me because if I was with someone who really wanted a kid, odds are they would also want that kid to have their last name and I don't care. Yeah. You know, so like you're just assuming that they'll have a more appealing last name than Weisselman. I mean, I think I think they're going to care about the child having their last name if they care enough to have the child to convince me to have a child with right. him. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I'll just be like, yeah, it can be, you know, we can name it Bomer. That's fine. Like, sure. <laughs> it'll be a last. Yeah. And three syllables is already too much to hyphenate. Well, and also starting at the end of the alphabet is tough. Like a W, no one wants to be all the way down there. And yeah. then you get into like the, and people are like, how do you spell it? And there's a lot of like weasel involved. And so I just don't sure, want to sure. do that to another. Bo- okay. Bomer Weisselman hyphenated beautiful. is Beautiful. Nice. It's beautiful. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you this about dog ownership. Please. Uh, it will curtail your external activities yep. by not as much as you think, right. but it will. Yep. But it will be a thing. And I think you'll back me up on this, that you willingly give up. You will, you will miss it. it, 30% of it goes away, but it's the 30% that you don't like. Yeah. I get that. And I totally am down for it at some point. What we're really looking for at this point is for me to meet a man who Uh has a dog. Gotcha. Uh, And then you really get like this. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, But also uh, 90% of the time when you're gone, they're asleep. 
I mean, that sounds nice too. Actually. I mean, it's, Unless we want to believe a severe separation anxiety, like my dog does. Right. And that's a whole other thing. Right. But I will say it's an easy thing to throw some money at the, the problem when you do need to travel. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, not as much of a hindrance as you are fearing. For sure. I mean, I have friends who tell me that their dogs end up staying in nicer places that they do when they go on vacation. So I feel good about that. But again, it all comes back to the 30%. I have to just, I have to reckon with that. Yeah. No, understood. So if you are single and maybe have a dog yeah, and maybe a, maybe a last name that's that's the earlier part of the alphabet, if you want children. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I speak for all of us in the room. We want to see a picture of the dog first. For sure, a hundred percent. Then the person, but I mean, get I, at Jarrett on yeah, Twitter. I'm all of you sure. are already already following yeah. him. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I will swipe right on a photo with a dog, regardless of what the guy looks like, for the most part. So yeah, absolutely, it's very helpful. And are, so you said nothing serious is happening at the moment, but are there are there are there players on the board? Yeah, there's a couple players on the board right now that are all at like different levels of, I don't know, everything. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you always want to have sort of like someone you can call, and be like, hey, let's go to a movie, or hey, let's do that, sir. Like, let's or come over and watch a thing. It's, I think it's good to sort of, I've learned so much about like myself, both professionally and romantically and personally about like through what I don't like Mm. than what I do like. Right. I feel like I get more growth from having a bad experience than I actually do having a good experience. Uh, Any bad experiences coming to mind? I mean, I mean, sure. I mean, there's like, you know, when you're young, I think you definitely learn how to have anonymous sex through the bad experiences uh-huh. where you're sort of like, well, that can never happen again. Um, and I think you learn like the flags when you meet someone, when you start talking to them, you see signals of like, oh, I've been down that road before. Like, I don't like that. I think it's, you know, like the guys who I was on a date with this one guy and he's it was so weird. He was like very like white man privilege. And he was just it was the, when girls was on television, it was super popular. Mm-hmm. And I think we had gone out like right after an episode I really loved aired and we were talking. He's like, you know, he's like, I just got to tell you, he's like, I just feel like I could write girls better than Lena Dunham. I'm oh like, boy. I was like, okay, wait, mm. I'm like, you think you could write Lena Dunham's legitimate personal experiences mm-hmm. better than Lena Dunham can? I was like, I no. And so whenever I I find sort of, um, I think it's good to be self-confident. I think it's good to believe in your ability. I also just feel like there's, it's such a thin line before it borders over into just full narcissism nightmare. Mania. Oh my God. I mean, to even like say those words are insane to me. Yeah. And I keep seeing him pop up on like apps and stuff. And I'm like, I really want to tell other people not to date this guy. It's (laughs) almost like it's something a Lena Dunham character would say. 100%. So maybe he could. Yeah. Um, It might be the, the, uh, she should hire him for gay hipster boy equivalent of I can score a point against uh, Serena Williams, but, uh, which uh-huh. something like 80% of men think they can. I don't even think something. I would be physically capable of walking onto the court yeah. if Serena Williams was uh, there. Yeah, hugging her I would mean, be a challenge. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about Syracuse for a minute? Sure. Uh, what year were you? What year did I graduate? Yeah. 2003. Okay. Wait, 1999. Because um, yeah. I, when I first moved here, I met a bunch of very recent graduates from Syracuse. Yeah. Who were like fresh out. I think I met them like the night that they moved to LA. Yeah. And it was such a diverse group of gay men yeah. who were like just, and it was, there's a 10 year difference uh, between me and them. But it just seemed like in that 10 years, everything had happened that made them like super confident. Mm-hmm. put together gay dudes at the moment of college graduation. Yeah. Which was 100% not the case for me. Me either. So what was it like there, there being such an, such a presence? I mean, I think it's, I think what happens there is 
it's so cold all the time that you end up forming really close relationships with a very small group of people. There are truly days where you cannot leave your home, right? Like, cause you're just fully snowed in. And there was a very, very large drama program there because there's Newhouse. And then there's also this thing called VPA, which is visual performing arts. So there's a ton of creative theater people all being brought together. There was actually like a house was called the red house, which was like the drama house, like not, not in that sense, like the people who did drama. Uh Um, Although it was actually very dramatic at the same time. Uh, And that was where always like the fun parties were. And that was always where it was like the first time I actually ever saw anybody do drag was at that house. Yeah. And so I think you just really like bond super fast at this school because so it's only nice for three months. You know, you really just have September, October, And then it's a nightmare. And so you kind of find your people and you fall in really close and you end up really sharing a lot of personality traits and getting to sort of know them on like deep, deep level. Cause that's also college when you're like really wanting to have like, let's talk until five in the morning about like hopes and dreams. Yeah. And so I think that's probably a little bit of what you're seeing. But I also think that the thing that I'm very jealous of about this sort of younger generation of gay people is how much representation they've actually grown up with. And I think it has made young, younger and younger kids more and more comfortable with their sexuality earlier. You know, the fact that there are five-year-olds who fully are realized in that way is so incredible to me. And the fact, you know, and I think people give it a lot of shit for a bunch of different reasons, but I think the fact that Kurt Hummel even existed on a show like Glee, you know, meant so much and did so much heavy lifting for people to understand queerness and to understand gayness, you know, truly Will and Grace happened when I was like already in high school. And so, and that wasn't even what kind of like, I mean, it was so not sexualized. Mm -hmm. It was so sort of neutered in that way that I don't know how much work that did beyond just informing people that there are gay men out there. Uh, And so I think the more representation that you have, I think that's why you're also seeing these other generations. And I think Instagram as awful as social media is in a million ways, it does. If you live in Omaha, it gives you such a window into the world and what actually is possible. And you see these people living their lives so out and proud. And I think that can give you hope in a way that you can also have that experience. And so I think that those two things together is probably why you're seeing so many, you know, Syracuse gays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But, But I mean, so what, like, how did you measure yourself against that? Like, did you see a gay presence at Syracuse and say like, did did any did it strum any kind of string within you? Or? Oh, for sure. I mean, I knew I was gay from. I mean, honestly, like if I probably looked back, like honestly, like I feel like I knew I was gay before I was ten years old. Yeah. Like, and I think that was why. Like, I remember, like changing in locker rooms and being like, "This is unbelievable." Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that you know it. I what what happens is that I'm sure so many people can identify with. It's like when you know you're gay and you're closeted, you actually really resent the people who are so comfortable living out that, living their lives that way. Mm-hmm. And so those people were not even my friends. Like I couldn't even tell you like one of their names. You see them at parties, you see them at bars, but it wasn't my experience in college. And it, I try not to live with like a lot of regret, but for sure my biggest regret is not coming out in college because yeah. I knew, and I ruined so many friendships with girls by dating them, yeah. um, which was dumb because mm-hmm. I didn't even want to be there. Um, 
But so I think that's always the weird thing about when I look back at like the gay guys who I knew were gay in college, you know, I was so jealous of them that they were so comfortable doing that. And they were so able to do that, that I actively would not befriend them because I felt like it would be, I don't know. I don't know what I was afraid of. Like, I don't know if I was afraid that it would actually force me to come out or that Uh I would just be more resentful. But both of those things probably working together completely stopped me from ever being friends with a gay person until truly I had already come out. Yeah. Like I, like my first gay friend, I think I made when I was 24 years old, like someone I would actually call a friend. Uh, and you know, we met in New York, we met, Oh God, it was this website. It was called like connection, but oh, an ex- yes, connection. Yeah, yeah. but it was like truly for meeting friends. I mean, I'm sure people, a lot of yeah. people use yeah. it for sex. We use everything for sex at some point, Yeah, but it was on connection and he had just moved to New York and I had just been there for a while. And we started talking. We, I remember he had a true Beverly Hills quote in his profile. I was like, Oh, we're best friends. <laughs> and then we became friends and he was really one of my good, good gay friends for a long time. And then we lived together, which was a disaster. And then we stopped being friends for a while. And now we're really good friends again. Yeah. Uh, And he actually introduced me to my first serious boyfriend when we lived in New York, which was part of the reason we stopped being friends. Oh. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Uh, And and you have a a great group of gay friends now. I do. Yeah. They're amazing. How how did this team come together? It happened through work. I mean, I I think what, what happened was my friends, Derek and Pat, are publicists and I was an entertainment journalist and they were like, we should all just like go get lunch or something or dinner. You know, as you do, like you, when you're a journalist, you kind of end up going out with like a ton of people because you need those relationships to leverage, to get access or to get interviews and stuff. Um, And we all went out and we just had like the best time. We had so much in common. And then I met one of their boyfriends and then they introduced me to their friend group. And then it just sort of like happened that I got sort of, you know, brought into their already existing friend group. And then that has just become like one of my groups of best friends in LA. So, and it's nice. I mean, but that's how it should happen. You know, the idea of like, I don't know, I, I weirdly do believe in general in sort of the idea of fate or destiny or predestiny, not to the point where like you are not in control of anything, uh-huh. but I do feel like there's, there are people in my life where I know like we were meant to know each other. Uh, and that's definitely like one of those groups of people. There's a strange thing, uh, with gay men making friends with other gay men. Yeah. Where you do, you can tend to overthink it. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. In a way that you wouldn't any other relationship. Like, uh, you go deeper into the, what does it say about me to be friends with this person? Or yeah. like what elements of this person reflect elements of me or whatever. It's, it's really easy to think too much. And there's oh, a, yeah. And you can overthink like, do I, uh, do I definitely not ever want to sleep with this person or they never yeah. want to sleep with me? Yeah. yeah. Never be that's, uh, weird. That's always the thing that I feel like ends up coming into the equation. And it's sort of like, if you're, if you are going to sleep with them, you're probably never going to be their best friends unless you're both very chill and cool with that, which also mm-hmm. exists. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that we haven't slept together is probably good. And I don't think it should happen. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I, I have slept with enough of my actual friends to know that it's a bad idea and you should never actually do it. Right. Like, I mean, the girl in college that I dated for three years was my best friend and it was the worst decision I've ever made because, I mean, I really ruined her college experience, if I'm being honest uh, with myself. <laughs> are you just friends now? Uh, no, but we're not oh. not friends now. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's, you know what's so interesting is this thing happened after college where I basically then had, once I came out, I had to go back to these three girls that I had dated and treated very badly in college and tell them I was gay. 
And we, you know, this first girl, Lauren, uh, was the one I dated off and on for three years who I just like, such a dick. I feel so bad about it. Like how? Well, like, you know, like, here's the thing. If you are gay and you're closeted and you're dating a girl on some level, you do not actually care about her feelings because you are putting this facade of yourself in front of her authentic needs. Right. Yeah. And you're not thinking that at the time. That's just sort of what I, how I reflected on it. Um, but like, you know, so you're not always so kind. You could certainly be much nicer. I mean, it would be much nicer to not date a woman as a gay man. Um, And so, you know, I think you just don't, you, I think it's a little careless. You can, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking just for myself. Uh, and so I had to go back to them, her and this girl, Katie and this girl, Ashley, that I had slept with and say like, Hey, so I'm getting, and what's crazy is I had been in like not good places and friend levels with them since all that stuff had gone down. And the instant you tell a girl you dated when you were in the closet that you were gay, it absolves them of all responsibility for every problem in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And you can instantly become friends again. Right. So with all three of them, it was like, it was like the past had never happened. You're like, oh my God, that's amazing. I'm so glad for you. And then it's just your friends. And it's because I think, you know, I think anyone would spend so much time thinking about what did I do? Like, so weird. Why was this so weird? And it's like, once you tell them the reason our relationship was a disaster is because I actually like men. They're like, oh God, I did nothing wrong. Yeah. This is great. Oh, yeah. I feel amazing. I'm no longer going to rack my brain thinking about what went so badly. Right. And um, we're too evolved for the hacky thing of like, oh, I turned him. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. That anymore. Yeah. So I think like that was super helpful. So yes, yeah. that's why I, I've, you can't date a friend. Right. I just remember, I have not thought about this in so long, but I only dated one girl in high school. Only one person who was like my girlfriend. Yeah. And we were part of the same friend group and very quickly she was, she never said well, you're gay, this thing, but she was like, we have barely held hands. Like, right, this is right, not right. We remained friends. I go off to college. I come out. I'm home for like winter break. I come, I'm coming out to like my whole high school friend group and I come out to her and we're both like blackout drunk. And then we made out afterward (laughs) and it was like this weird sort of perfect closure. And I've never unpacked and I I wasn't like not into it, you know, it wasn't, there was no denial about what was happening. But I have never gone back and been like, what the fuck was that about? That yeah. that's what we needed to do to. It, I know it's like. beauty in that. Yeah, exactly. I kind of. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. I know it's not ideal for you, but. But then she became a Trump supporter and I deleted oh, well, her I from Well, good job. So, yeah, exactly. Fuck you, Aaron. Yes. Yeah, wow. So you, 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 you turned her. No. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, thank yes. you so much for being oh my here. God, thank you so much for having you me. Are, this is long, long, long overdue. I yeah. know. I know. I, for the last time I saw you, you had like a. F- on your foot or something. I remember when we filmed that podcast, you had like broken your foot. Oh I, yeah. How's that so, simply from walking. Just mm-hmm. a, a, a classic walking's walking hard. Walking is tough. I get it. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. Thank you guys. Fun. 